Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. Hey, it's Anna. It's the end of the year, and as you're thinking about your year that has passed and what's coming up, and thinking about the causes and projects that you want to support with your charitable dollars before the year is out. I hope you include Death, Sex, and Money. Our work here is powered by our listeners in so many ways, including how we're funded. Go to deathsexmoney.org donate or text the letters DSM to the number 70101. And if you donate any amount during the month of December, the first 250 people will get a very special gift. More on that later in this episode. Again, go to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. Please join in. It is really important for the work that we do. And thank you so much for being a part of the Death, Sex, and Money community. Is everybody ready? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. <clears throat> this is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? And need to talk about more. I'd just be hanging around the mistletoe, hoping to be kissed. I'm Anna Sale. And I'm Andrew Dunn. And I'm Afi Yellowduke. And I'm Emily Botine. And I'm Annabelle Bacon. And I'm Katie Bishop. And we are all together, the entire <laughs> Death, Sex, and Money team here in studio in one place. We are often stretched across the country. I'm usually in the Bay Area. Andrew Dunn, our mix engineer and sound designer, is usually in upstate New York. The rest of the team here in New York. It is truly special to be with each and every one of you around Yay. this table in the studio. <laughs> and we are doing it because this was a very special year for Death, Sex, and Money. A lot happened. It was our fifth year. We had our fifth birthday. We had an amazing roster of guest hosts for my maternity leave. We hired our newest producer, Affie Yellow Duke. We are bigger than we've ever been. We had our first ever death, sex, and money dance exercise class. Highlight of the year. (laughs) Here in New York for supporters here in the New York City area. We put out 46 death, sex, and money episodes. So today we wanted to just take a minute and reflect on the year that was passed because probably like a lot of you, we're not the best as a team at pausing and thinking about what we have done, what we are proud of, what we want to congratulate each other on. Um, And also to swap stories about what happened because... I was gone half the year taking care of an infant, and I've heard some of the behind-the-scenes stories about what happened when I was gone, and some of them are too good to just um, not share with all of you. So that is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about some of our favorite moments from the last year at Death, Sex, and Money and some behind-the-scenes moments. Um, and and I want to start, um, Emily, with with one of your stories from when I wasn't working, I was on maternity leave. Um, let's just start listening to some of that tape. I'm just gonna come in, I think you, can you hear yourself? No. Now can you? Testing, testing one, no I can, yeah. What's happening here, Emily? So you mentioned the maternity leave episodes, and that was when we invited some of our favorite guests from DSM back, and we switched the tables, and they became hosts. And this tape is when we invited uh, T.R. Jones to come in and talk to Carrie Mae Weems, the photographer. Uh And that was Carrie. I loved that episode. 
I ended up being in the studio. And of course, as a producer, my first uh, goal was to make sure they were comfortable. Okay. Yeah. I have cotton mouth. Do you want some water or some hot water? Carrie had something up with her voice, and I wanted to uh, I wanted to make sure she was comfortable. I said I'd go get the tea. Do you want, do you want some, like, chamomile or mint tea? Is that good for it? Isn't it better to do, like, warm water with a little lemon? <laughs> I think warm, warm water, yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I think anything warm. Do you want some, too? Yeah. No, oh, anything I'm, warm? That's interesting. I didn't know that. Do you want one? I'm good. So many no, options, I'm, Emily. I'm fine. Okay. Maybe I won't listen to myself. <clears throat> then I won't notice my smacks. I think we all know as a producer, especially when you're working with new people, all you want to do is make sure they're comfortable. So you leave at that point. And Annabelle and I were both in the studio kind of getting things set up in the control room. And then we saw you come back in with the tea. And then <laughs> we assumed that you had left the studio. They started the interview and I thought, oh, Emily must have just, like, left and gone back to her desk or something. She just disappeared. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, Annabelle, how many minutes later did this happen? So when I went back to pull this tape, I was surprised to find it was precisely 10 minutes later that this happened. Which is one of the reasons that people stay married for such a short period of time. I think she wants to leave. Just sitting there so quietly. I I always think of um we always say to people, Well, we just wanna be we wanna just be like a fly on the wall in your recording. So I literally had just gone to the corner of the room and sat there facing the wall. And then Wait, it just you were turned in. to the corner? Oh, Emily. Because <laughs> they just started in so quickly. All of a sudden she said that and both Annabelle and I were like, <gasps> and Emily She's just still there. <laughs> oh my god, that was so funny. I love that tape. I had not, I've not heard that tape before. I just love that they're having sharing this profound like thing about marriage and when they were ready and how it was working. And then you just, <laughs> what's she doing over there? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, Emily. Clearly, they were very comfortable. The tea worked. I was quiet. <laughs> But it makes total sense that you didn't want to screw that up because something that we found as producers with this series was that we, it was kind of a one chance thing with everybody. Like you, you know, we didn't have unlimited time with these hosts. And so we booked our hour and a half with them and did the taping and we got what we got. So it makes total sense that that happened. Okay. So this is executive producer Katie Bishop. Like describe for me, like what was it like for you all working with these guest hosts who had come in, who knew about the show from being the guests, but like now they were in the driver's seat. Like what was it like and how was it different to make those episodes? It was really amazing to see sort of how open and um, vulnerable people were willing to get. Like they really embraced the spirit of the show. And you could tell that all the guest hosts took that responsibility really seriously, which was really, really nice to to see as producers. But it was interesting because, um, you know, they all have very busy schedules and lives. And so we were sort of scheduling a lot of these interviews around their busy lives. So we did things like tape with Trevor Noah and Tressie McMillan Cottom on Easter Sunday. Uh-huh. <laughs> we brought pastries. We brought Easter. pastries. Yeah. So, you know, we fit it in where we could and everyone was very generous with their time. Um, and yeah, so that was that was a little bit different for us. And Katie, you also have a harrowing story of producing Mahershala Ali in L.A. You left New York. You left your family, your young child, your husband, and went to L.A. Yep. to work on that episode. What? What? That what, was a crazy what stood twenty-four out for hours. You about that, taping? I took like a six a.m. flight, landed at nine, 
pumped at the airport straight to the studio. I'd never been to the studio. Guys, I had to vacuum when I got there. Things were not good. <laughs> Things were not good. And, uh, oh, also during the taping, I had a photographer who was stuck. He couldn't come into the studio because there was one door. And it just went straight into the studio. So he had to wait outside and he had to pee really bad. And so he was texting me these 911 texts like, I have to pee so badly. Please help me. And I was like, I can't. This is my one shot with Marishal Ali, dude. Don't screw this up for me. So I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. That I didn't happened. know that part of the story. <laughs> yep. Why yep. don't you just go inside? You're like, hold it. All caps. Hold I, it. I was like, find a Starbucks. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then got back in the car, went to the airport. Had to figure out the pumping situation there, and off I went. Got to do what you got to do. <laughs> um, Andrew, you had a moment from one of our other guest-hosted episodes with Jason Isbell, mm-hmm. musician, where he interviewed his best friend, the GQ editor-in-chief, Will Welch. Let's take him and listen to that. The, the, the male reflection of depression... The, yeah. the grumpiness mm-hmm. is something that will get a hold of me mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have uh, probably a shadow of depression, mm-hmm. not not a full-on, uh, you know, chemical situation with it. But I fight that more frequently than I fight anything else because just getting sober didn't make me all of a sudden happy. Everything the world did yeah, not change. it doesn't change. fix you. Yeah. The world does not give a shit if I'm drunk or not, you know. <laughs> no, it does not. It does not. There's a— uh... There's a. I recently, as you know, wrote a feature, a, a profiled for GQ style, uh, this guy named Ram Das, who is a uh, famous psychedelic explorer and then spiritual guru. But one of the many things that has really will be with me forever is this idea that all thoughts, words, and actions are an offering to God. So I tr- I've tried over the last year or so to make that just a constant presence in my waking life. So I'm at work and something tricky is happening and somebody comes into my office and gives me some news I don't want to hear. How do I react? Yeah, your reaction. Is an offering to God. React accordingly. You know what I mean? What is a way that you would respond now uh, with that type of awareness that that you wouldn't have five or six years ago? Well, in in the way that you get grumpy, I get snappy. Hmm. So... um, (laughs) You know, we're like the seven dwarves of male depression. We are grumpy, yeah. snappy, yeah. shitty. Just between the two of us, we're the, we're the seven dwarves. Self-aggrandizing. He's the worst dwarf of all. Mouth breathy. <laughs> <laughs> My spirit dwarf is mouth breathy. <laughs> You're too tall for your sinuses to work that right. It's true. not your fault. That is absolutely true. So, Andrew, well, the way I picture you first encountering this tape is, like, you sit in front of these massive Pro Tools sessions while you build our episodes. So just, like, mm-hmm. take me there when you were hearing that tape. Like, what stuck out for you about that? Oh, man. There's so much I love about that clip. I mean, well, it's kind of a rarity on the show for two guys to be able to talk to each other, uh-huh. obviously. Yeah. It doesn't um, happen often. But when we start discussing depression and specifically how it manifests from a dude perspective, from a guy perspective. There's certain differences that they both noticed. So I had to stop that tape and mm. listen again mm. and then listen again and, and to really digest the advice that he's giving, this Ram Dass advice, which feels totally unexpected. And then, boom, it's back to, like, two guys joking it up hilariously. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate to that, mm-hmm. relate to that. So Are then, you snappy or grumpy? Oh, God, what day of the week is it? <laughs> <laughs> 
what what mix number are we on? Uh, you know, no. Which mix number? How many notes do you have? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's very good information to have. <laughs> Love two Southern men getting getting woo woo. Um, there's so many good memories from our maternity leave lineup. I like. I just can't tell you. I, you know, it's like a, such a fun thing to get to not be involved with any work whatsoever and to also feel really proud, like to just see like, oh, this thing lives and breathes as I nurse. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I was really so proud. And the other thing that made me so proud, like I cried when I opened the email was when you all sent the poster that you made um, to announce the maternity leave lineup. And um what was so cool about this was this was like at the top it says WNYC and NSL presents the Death, Sex, and Money Maternity Leave lineup 2019. And like what was so cool about that was like it was like announcing that the maternity leave was a special occasion. <laughs> you know, it was like we're not going to hide. Like Anna doesn't have to pretend that her baby doesn't have needs. And look at all these cool people. It's like a concert poster who want to be involved in this maternity leave lineup. And so – I was like, where did this poster come from? <laughs> and then you're like, we handled it. Uh, Annabelle and Katie, where did that poster come from? Well, so the idea was born in a meeting that we had um, with <laughs> all of our, of, as many ideas are. And then my mom, shout out to Susan Mack out yeah! there. Rochester. <laughs> she was like, oh, I mentioned that we were thinking about having this poster done. And she was like, oh, our neighbor, Allison Cote, uh, one of her friend's daughter-in-laws is an artist. <laughs> And uh, she was like, she makes concert posters. You should look at her work. And I did. I was very impressed. And we had her do it. She did an amazing job on the poster. And yeah, everyone should look her up. Allison Cote. Shout out. Thank you. And we have a picture of that poster. You can check it out at deathsexmoney.org slash donate because we have a very, very special end of year situation happening. Super, super special. Where if you go to deathsexmoney.org slash donate to support the kind of work that gets done by the Death, Sex, and Money team, which you are hearing about, um, we will give you a signed maternity leave poster. Yes. We're printing them up. We're sending them out, and we're going to keep celebrating the 2019 maternity leave lineup. That's right. We are printing 250 of these. If you already gave in December, guess what? You're getting one. Good for you. (laughs) And if you give... Between now and the end of the year, and you're one of those first 250 people to give, we're sending you a poster. Very exciting. Very exciting. And I have to tell you, I have a nice glossy printout of this poster at my desk, and I look at it every day, and I'm just like, that's a good-looking poster. Me too. So I, it's great decoration. It's just, like, so cool, and it's beautiful colors. And it's going to be signed by Anna Sale. Very that's exciting. True. I'm getting the Sharpie out for you. So... Get your posters, people. Go to deathsexmoney.org slash donate, or you can text the letters DSM to 70101. We really appreciate it. It really matters. And you can join in the celebration of the Death, Sex, and Money year-end spectacular. Coming up, we are going to talk about what else happened in 2019 on Death, Sex, and Money, including what stuck out to Affy when she was a listener of Death, Sex, and Money before she was a producer. One more thing I wanted to make sure we talk about is our favorite moment in the Death, Sex, and Money inbox, because it is such a gift 
that gives and gives. We get so many amazing emails and voice memos from our listeners. One email that came in recently that stuck out to me in particular was from the vault, the Death, Sex, and Money vault. We heard from one of our listeners who was on an episode a few years ago, a listener we called Paul, who I talked to for our siblinghood episode. He talked about his sister. Um, And we heard from Paul about... um, a conversation he had with a friend about death, sex, and money. Uh, and Paul, we have you on the line now, right? Yes. How Hi, are you? Paul. Hi. Do you remember in particular what you said in the email? Um, that he had mentioned that uh, he had asked me for podcast suggestions, that I had sent him my episode, um, and he had started listening to other episodes, and he had mentioned that listening to death, sex, and money had actually given him a better vocabulary to be able to express himself in therapy and it was actually making his therapy sessions just a lot better because hearing so many people express themselves um, really helped him and I can agree with that because until you, you know, describing your feelings is really a language and you don't know how you're feeling until someone else has described it to you about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, that email, I think I read it over a weekend. Um, it came in and it was just like, oh, thanks, Paul. Thanks for reaching out. <laughs> like, it's good to know. It's good to know how this is landing. Another email that we got from you after I talked to you for the Siblinghood episode was you mentioned um, that you've talked about the show on your dating profile. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just mentioned that I was interviewed by my favorite podcast. And did it come up on dates? Um, I don't think so. Aww, I think like I, did, I, my, 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 <laughs> I think I think more importantly is that it is a I share the episode with people who are close to me as a way of letting them into my lives in a in a much more intimate and meaningful way. So I'd say that's far more important than a conversation starter on a on a dating website. Hmm. We think about your conversation a lot. That's Still. Emily Botin. Yeah. Like me- many years later, we think about that conversation hmm. often. Thank you for being in touch. Um, if you want to hear that episode with Paul, you can text the word siblinghood to the number 70101 and we'll send you a link to that episode. It's one of our very favorites that we've made together. And Paul, Happy New Year to you. Oh, thank you. You as well. Take care and, and right. continue to be in touch, okay? Thank you. Absolutely. Okay. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalyst for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. 
and she does it in her signature hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale, joined today in the studio, in person, by the entire Death, Sex, and Money team. Hello! Hey. Hi! Hi! <laughs> uh, Afi, you are the newest member of our team. You yeah. just joined Death, Sex, and Money in the fall. So you were a listener to Death, Sex, and Money longer than you were a producer in 2019 mm-hmm. for the show. Uh, what's a moment that stuck out? for you from 2019 on the show? Yeah, so the Michael Arsenault interview just like Mm. brought a lot of joy to my my heart. And the moment in particular is when he talks about going out to um, a gay bar for the first time in New York. And it just like, I mean, there are a lot of things about it. I mean, Beyonce as a unifier for everyone. Important, (laughs) deeply important. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just like him just kind of like realizing that like he could enter a space and like, start to be himself and shed some things that were really beautiful. Let's listen to that. I did not sneak out like people in high school because, again, I was fighting the obvious for a long time. And But then when I was an intern at 20, I was 21, someone, uh, the younger brother of a high school classmate, uh, took me to a gay club in the village. I remember walking in and being like, why are they dancing together? And he was like, bitch, because... They're gay. Like, we're in a gay club. Did you forget where I, t- I take you? I'm paraphrasing, but I did get a bitch. Like, are you serious? So I was a little confused at first, and then I got drunk, and Beyonce came Well, excuse me, Destiny's Child came on, Lose My Breath, and uh-huh. select B-Day tracks. So it was both. Um, and I remember when I finally let go, I started dancing, because I used to be uncomfortable dancing in public because I think it gave it away. Um, that you're gay. Yeah, one, once one of my friends was like, oh, you dance like a, a faggot. And she meant it as a compliment because um, she's of the community. But uh, at the time I was like, oh, why did you tell me that? Um, but once I was in the club and, you know, liquid courage, I felt free and I felt less inhibited. Um, I was less aware. Like I, I enter a space and I just look at everything and I just get so caught up in my head. That also might just be some hood mm-hmm. shit to watch your surroundings, but that's what it was. And once, like, you get the liquor, you're like, oh, stop thinking, just go twerk. So, um, yeah, I was dancing, had fun. Were you dancing by yourself? By myself at first and then just with friends and then back to myself. But that was the first time I actually felt joy with that part of myself. Because um, it was really the first time I, I got to experience it and not have to worry about anything. It felt really nice. I love that moment too, Afty. It's so nice. It's so nice. I mean, what I love in this episode throughout, he also just has like this amazing recall for like '90s and 2000s R&B, and he's always like, "This song is like this." <laughs> I'm just like, "You're that's incredible." Like, I wish my brain did. That. I know. I feel like he was um, producing his own episode. Like, so you're gonna play this clip here <laughs> and this song here. But um, also, just yeah, that moment. I just like I could really relate to that, and just like knowing like 
what it feels like to like be able to like whether you're sober or drug, you're just like into a space where you can finally just be like, ah, oh, I can like dance the way I want to and I can be myself. And that just really struck me as a beautiful encapsulation of that. Do you remember where you were when you were listening to that episode? Yeah, I was actually in Fort Greene Park. I was just like taking a walk during one of my lunch breaks and I was listening to it. I put it on and it was just like nice to just like be outside and listening to the episode. And I was like laughing during that part too and watching the dogs go by. Um, there's so many dogs in Fort Greene Park. It's great. Um, but yeah, that that's what I was doing that day. And it's funny because when I hear that tape, I think of it as also... Michael's from Texas. I hear like someone discovering not just what it is to dance in a gay club, but also discovering New York City. Mm-hmm. And you are a New Yorker. Yes. You were raised here. Like what what do you hear as a New Yorker when you hear him talk about that moment? I could definitely relate to that too. I, I left New York for college. It was the only time I lived outside of New York for an extended period of time. So I remember like having similar moments of at least coming back and like being an adult in New York for the first time. So I could relate to that feeling of like, oh, like like New York when you can do things as an adult in New York, it was very different from like, oh, I live here, I grew up here. So it was kind of this, I could see like that same level of discovery in a different way, but I could relate to that. But it's also interesting because I do find people's coming to New York stories fascinating more generally because I'm always just like, so many people like find it really hard to live here. And I'm just like, it's not that hard. No, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> At least not to me. <laughs> but I, I guess I'm seasoned and crusty. I don't know. <laughs> Hardy. Yeah. Um, and Annabelle, one of your favorite moments from Death, Sex, and Money from 2019 was our most recent episode before this one. It was. Just last week, um, we put out a conversation with Liz Fair, And sometimes along the way, you find out that something you really, really love just doesn't fit in an actual episode. And this was <sighs> so what sad. happened to me last week. Um, so let's let's hear this uh, RIP, my favorite moment from the Liz Fair episode <laughs> that didn't actually make it into the Liz Fair episode. How did you spend the first big money that you made? <laughs> um, I don't remember, probably on stupid stuff, but I do remember that my boyfriend at the time um, had a son, and we were I was living with him. He rescued a rat from being fed to a snake at a pet store, <laughs> and he brought him home, and he put him in a terrarium, and I thought, oh, we can't do that to Willard, so I got him these big like huge rat cages with like everything a rat could want to do. And I would let him out every once in a while. And one time, because he he lived in the office space in our apartment (laughs) next to all the bills and everything. And I was getting these huge checks that didn't mean anything to me. Like I didn't really, I couldn't relate to these huge checks. And I'm not kidding. My business manager, I had to call up and say, could you issue another check because the rat had eaten a check for multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. Multiple. And I had to call up and say, like, the the rat ate it. Could you issue another one? I feel like that's very rock and roll. And <laughs> it really is. You know, I think my manager, the, the business manager said that at the time. He's like, this, no one would ever believe this. No one will ever believe this. But it really did happen. Oh, my God, Willard. Also, that his name is Willard. <laughs> Who names a rat Willard? I remember listening to that. I'm like, oh, so she's going to say she bought, like, this apartment for a rat with her big money. Like, I didn't yeah. know where the story yeah. was going. <laughs> she built the rat a penthouse. Like, <laughs> And I love that moment for several reasons. The first is that I, I was a rat owner as a child. And so I... I, 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 I face. <laughs> Emily is so horrified. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're great pets. They're really clean. They're very sweet. I obviously didn't have checks lying around for the rat to eat, but I, I can relate to that sort of unpredictability of a small pet. Um, but I also just love it because this was this came from a moment when she was talking about hitting it big unexpectedly right at the start of her career. And I just love that she can still remember, like, the mess of that time and that she had this rat that was just eating her paychecks. <laughs> well, I have a very favorite moment of dead tape that I have been, like, that's made me itchy all year long since since we decided not to include it in our alcohol episode. Uh, and I'd like to share it with you all. Um, it is a moment that I talked to a listener named Meredith who was in the alcohol episode. She talked about sober Septembers and giving up alcohol for Lent as sort of a practice of like just taking a break um, and just taking a break, seeing how it felt to take a break and then resuming. Um, and uh, I asked her, she's like, yeah, yeah, I usually do it for Lent, except I didn't do it for Lent this one year. And and I was like, oh, well, what'd you do for Lent that that year? And we took this like hard right turn into this really beautiful moment um, that I want to play for you. What did you give up for Lent instead that year? Ooh. Um, so I, um, I practice Ignatian spirituality, which is the spirituality of St. Ignatius, um, the founder of the Jesuits. Hmm. And um, so one of the things he teaches that he definitely borrowed from Eastern religions and philosophy um, is the idea of detachment being detached from what we desire so we can be open to what God desires. Um, mm. And I was, was, I mean, still am, but I was really attached to the idea of getting married and having kids. Um, and I was in my 30s, uh, which is not late for D.C. Um, or the East Coast even, but, you know, I had a lot of friends who were getting married and were having their first and second babies, and I just felt like, you know, life FOMO. You know? <laughs> like, what if I don't get this experience to be someone's partner, to be someone's mom? And so that that year during Lent, I gave up the idea that I would ever get married. And so I, like, made this assumption and tried to, like, pray and operate and think under that assumption, right? Like, in a way to try and get closer to detachment from the idea. And actually what I came up with is, like, I could probably stand and not be married, but I, I, I definitely, I knew at the end of Lent that I really wanted to be someone's mother. And I was kind of open to, like, however that happened. But, um... That's what I was able to walk away with. I loved that. I loved, like, trying on an idea for Lent and seeing how it sits with you. And then coming away with a real sense of, like, clarity that she didn't have before. It's a lot better than, like, giving up candy. (laughs) (laughs) Still hard work, though. Also hard, but different. So again, it is the end of 2019, so uh, we want to remind you we are asking you to donate to Death, Sex, and Money to support these kinds of conversations. You can go to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. Get your signed maternity leave poster. Um, But also what we wanted to take this time for all of us to reflect as a team and as a listening community um, about the year that has passed and the year that we have in front of us. And there's... One more piece of tape that I actually have been thinking about a lot these last few weeks as we head into the new year, and that is a moment from my interview with writer Saeed Jones um, of the memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives, uh, where he talked about New Year's resolutions with his mother. Um, His mother has since passed away. Her name was Carol Sweet Jones. And he talked about something he found 
after she died. And I want to play this for you. I remember finding a card that had a list of basically like she called them determinations. I think most people would call them like resolutions, New Year's mm. resolutions. Determinations. And, um, Love she called that. them. We, and we were, this is what I grew up with. Every year she was like, Have you written your New Year's determinations? Mm. Um, and so there would be a card, like a, you know, a greeting card with it. And one of the items was, you know, I will travel the world with my son. Mm. And um, we weren't able to ever travel abroad together. Um, and, as you know, Anna, I've done a lot of traveling <laughs> uh, in the last few years, and that's that's part of the reason why I felt like, okay, I've got to do this, do this for her, do this for us. I was just in touch with Saeed, and he's actually writing about his determinations. He's written an essay. You can find it at saeedjones.substack.com. But we wanted to take this moment to invite all of you to think about and share your determinations for the coming year with us. You can tweet us or go to Instagram and send us your determination for 2020. Who has a determination that they've already determined that they want to share? Everyone's <laughs> We're working on that. Um, thank you to all of you for spending your year with us. Thank you for making 2019 so very special. We make this show for you and with you and uh, we couldn't do it without you so thank you have a wonderful holiday season and a very happy new year I'm Anna Sale and I'm Andrew Dunn and I'm Effie Duke, and I'm Emily Botin and I'm Annabelle Bacon and I'm Katie Bishop and, and this, this is Death, Death Sex, Sex and Money from, from WNYC God, that was fantastic <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do that every time 